It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to this Rule Breaker Investing Extra. So you won't hear any ad reads from me this particular episode because this one is unsponsored and it is just my decision to speak to something that happened a couple days ago here in our hometown of Alexandria, Virginia. And so my producer Rick Engdahl and I are just hanging out here with you for a little bit of weekend thinking. So I want to just start with the phrase shock jock, and maybe you know what a shock jock is. Um, when I think of sports, if you've ever heard of the work of Jim Rome, um, I'm sure there's some Jim Rome fans out there, you'll know what a shock jock is. And it's a phrase that's reached currency. It certainly happens in sports, politics, and other spheres. And one of the things that I learned from shock jocks, whom I don't imitate, but one of the things that I learned, and occasionally I do this on this podcast, is powerfully using white space. In radio parlance, you just you let silence breathe for a little while, and then you come back and you speak, I guess, with more impact, um, especially if you're looking to make an impact as a shock jock. One of the things that shock jocks do is they usually demonize other people, ideas, cultures, whatever they're trying to shock you with. And what I've decided about demonizing in my first 51 years on this planet is that when you demonize others, guess who's the real demon? When you demonize others, guess who's becoming a demon? And I don't like that that's happened a lot in the last few years in our country, and that it's become part of the way of conducting national conversations. It's not my way. I bet it's not your way. I think some people might say that we have a political leader in the country today that says demonizing things. And if anybody said that, I would agree, having had personal experience with that person. But it's not just one person. In fact, it's not just the political world or Congress, which I think as of a few years ago, before this most recent election, had its all-time low approval rate. It's the, I think it's the environment that surrounds it all that makes it possible for shock jocks to get attention, to get your ear, and sometimes maybe to get your vote. And so, I go back to that lovely phrase, I looked up the origin of this phrase. I think I've Googled it successfully. You can tell me I know if I've gotten it wrong. But I looked up the origin of this phrase, we have met the enemy and he is us. And I think that first was printed on an Earth Day poster. I didn't know Earth Day was happening as early as 1970. But I believe that phrase was first used on an Earth Day poster in 1970. We have met the enemy and he is us. And what that means to me is that you and I need to look in our own hearts. I'm not going to blame a president. I'm not going to blame Congress or the business world or whatever it is that you think is a demonizing force. I think we have to start looking at ourselves and in the eyes of those around us and ask, are we going to be receptive to that kind of shock jock environment? Are we going to allow that approach to set the tone for our times. I'm not. That's why I wanted to do a Rule Breaker Investing Extra today, and to encourage you 
not to allow that to happen either. We have met the enemy, and he is us. I was reading a story today. I'm taping this Friday morning, June 16th. The shooting, which was a national story, I'm sure you heard about it, was just a couple blocks away from Full HQ. Fortunately, it had nothing to do with anything that we do here. But I was reading a line from the estranged wife of the now-deceased shooter. And I'm reading this from an ABC News 7 article, coming out of Chicago in this case, News 7 in Chicago. And the, the line is very simple. Quote, she also said she believed he was coming home within a few days because he was out of money. End quote. I don't know if you notice the same thing I do, but so often in stories of tragedy or desperation, when you really look at it, a lot of the time, it was in some way having to do with money or triggered by, in this case, a lack of money, desperate and horrific acts. And I think it's a great reminder of the importance of financial literacy and in what we do as, as fools, as a community, to try to educate ourselves and those around us. I suppose it's the very nature of a democracy or of politics to have parties. And then, if you do have parties, it's going to be natural to try to line people up, get everybody in one or the other. And if you're in one of those parties or you're a leader, you're probably going to try to pit your people against their people. And if we, the people being pitted, allow the national conversation, the tone, the dialogue, and activity and actions to truly pit ourselves against others, our fellow Americans, our fellow fools, that's not a great system. I suppose the reason that my brother and I, and maybe you too, would describe ourselves as independent is because we don't really want to participate in that very much. And I know and I have dear friends in both parties, and you yourself, whoever you are listening to this right now, you may not even be in the United States of America, but if you ask yourself about your own identity, is affiliation with a specific political party one of the dominant things you would say about yourself? And some of you will say yes, and you're proud of that, and you believe in that, and I understand that. But I want you to know that I think the stronger we get, the more independent-minded we will get, I hope, as a nation. I mentioned this before in our non-political political election special of last year. I don't speak to this very often. But what I love about business is that it doesn't pit people against each other. It means that you and I have to work together. If I'm producing something like a podcast or a stock pick, I have to do it well enough that you want to pay me for it with your time and or your money. And you're really good at something, too. So, maybe what I will eat tonight for supper you produced. Or maybe something that made me laugh on a streaming show on Netflix. Maybe you wrote that line of dialogue. It is a constant collaborative effort. Yes, there's competitive elements, too. Competition at its best makes us better, gives us cheaper products as consumers, improves and sharpens our game as producers or manufacturers. But it's a beautiful thing, business. And public businesses, which we talk about every week on this podcast, public businesses have to report their finances audited every 90 days. Unless you're Hain Celestial, one of my stock picks, if you're familiar with that company, but I'm um, Bing. Public companies have to report their finances audited every 90 days. The level of transparency is astonishingly great, and something that we probably, as Americans, take for granted too easily. I see that in our private sector, and I deeply respect it. Many of the best public companies, the stocks that we invest in, have a clearly 
defined purpose, and they create wins for all of their stakeholders. When I think about it in political terms, I suppose public companies are trying to get elected, too, in the sense that they're hoping that you and I will vote for or buy their product or service, and not that of their competitors. So, yes, they want your vote. But they rarely fill the airwaves with 30-second hit ads, full of negative advertising. And they sell a real product or a service that you actually experience, and then you decide to buy it again or not and maybe tell your friends. And these companies have to execute and thrive indefinitely. They have to be long-term minded to really succeed, as opposed to running a great 18-month campaign and, I'll put this word in quotes, winning, and then not being accountable to what was said after that. And one more thing I want to point out about these great companies that we invest in from the private sector is that the great ones, all the good ones, they're solvent. They have real cash in their coffers that they've earned, and they use intelligently to reinvest in their business or give back to owners in the form of dividends. That's why I love business. I hope you do, too. And regardless of the political party in charge or the political atmosphere of any time, I believe that the real backbone of our country is entrepreneurship in these businesses. And on a day in which Amazon announced its buyout of Whole Foods, two stocks that many fools own, maybe you do too, I'm reminded of how devastatingly effective it can be when one great visionary partners up with another to make the world even better. And I think that's what's going to happen next from those two companies. Okay, let's shut it down. It's the weekend, after all. And I guess the way I'd like to end this is with three words, um, and a little bit about each one. The first one is the word civility. I, I believe you know what it is. I think I know what it is. Admittedly, if you ask me right now to define it like the dictionary does, I don't know that I could nail it. But I think you know it when you see it. And I think that you and I should behave at all times with civility. And I think that we should expect others around us, at our companies, in our homes, um, hobbies, civic engagements. I think we should expect that from others. And I think we should exclude from our lives, as much as possible, things that are uncivil. I don't think that should be part of the dialogue in your neighborhood or your nation. I don't want it in mine. So, civility. My other two words you know pretty well, I hope. Motley and fool. In fact, the two words that I was flipping through a book of quotations about three decades ago and decided that's the phrase we'll give to, well, at the time it was our newsletter. We didn't know it'd end up being a company. But that's the phrase that we're going to use. And what I love about Motley, and you know it as an investor and somebody who listens to this podcast, what I love about Motley is that it's a story of bulls and bears. It's about diverse viewpoints. We do that at fool.com. We confuse people to a fault sometimes, because I'll pick a stock like Amazon, and then you'll see a story next week written by one of our remote staffers, somebody whose opinion we value, and he might say something like, in the headline, Amazon.com looks overvalued. And then on our discussion boards at Stock Advisor, we'll have some people who've just joined Stock Advisor and say, what kind of organization is this? 
I just bought the stock because David said to buy the stock. But look at this article from today. From the fool, it says the stock's overvalued, and I understand why that might be confusing to some. But once you've gotten to know us a little bit, you'll understand that that's by design. No, I didn't know that article was going to be written by that writer, and I don't have any control over that writer's viewpoint. I value that writer's viewpoint, regardless of where it comes down on that stock or any other stock at any given point in time. And certainly, even though I've held Amazon for a couple decades, I thought it was overvalued a few different times, and I'm happy to tell people if I think that that's true. And that's Motley. And we do so much better as investors when we can hear the other side. If we're bearish, to hear somebody who might actually buy Apple. If we're bullish, to hear why somebody doesn't think Apple's such a great idea. So valuable. In fact, thinking of your workplace, and thinking of the most important word that I attach to success in the world today, innovation and the ability to innovate, the best way to have an innovative workplace, which we certainly try to do here at The Motley Fool, is to make sure you have diverse viewpoints. If you've ever read the book, The Medici Effect by Franz Johansson, you know the power of diverse viewpoints in order to create and maintain innovation. Motley. And Motley translated away from the markets, away from business, and into your daily life means, I hope, and I know so many of you already are, and we don't make the headlines, But I hope you're welcoming of other viewpoints, of people who look different from you, of people who worship a different God, perhaps, or come from a completely opposite culture. I hope you're welcoming of those people. I hope you're respectful. That's Motley. And then, my last word, fool. Of course, the fool was the one who could tell the king or queen the truth, and did so with humor, had the license to be the person at court who whispered into the king or queen's ears, or said right in front of the rest of the court what that fool thought, what he or she thought about the king or queen, had license to do so. And of course, foolishness opposes wisdom, or in our case, conventional wisdom. And so, yes, we as fools have always celebrated taking a different road away from the conventional wisdom. That's led to some of our best stock picks and some of our best business decisions over a couple decades. But there's another key concept that is wrapped up in the word fool, and I know you recognize this, and that is that we're fools. We're not trying to be world dominators. We're not trying to be your hero. We're fools. If you're a fool, I am. You proceed from a point of humility. I walk around Fool HQ at least once a week, usually with a ball cap that has the four letters F-O-O-L emblazoned upon it. And I don't just walk around Fool HQ with that ball cap. I walk around Alexandria, Virginia, or Washington, D.C. with that ball cap, and some of our employees do too, and I know some of our members have those caps too. It's a pretty contrary thing to do, to wear on your hat or your shirt, I'm a fool. It proceeds from a place of humility, and in fact, as we close, let me just give you a few phrases that I have when some people have asked me over the years, hey, what's foolishness exactly? You guys say, what's this whole fool thing at The Motley Fool? And over the course of some years, I just kind of gathered quick definitions of what foolishness is in different contexts. I'm going to share those with you in no particular order here. Foolishness uses humor and common sense to identify unexpected or contrary solutions. Foolishness champions freedom and independence and suggests you consider doing it your own way. Foolishness relentlessly invites and sincerely desires constructive criticism. 
foolishness harbors interest in others for their own sake. Foolishness is lighthearted, sensible, and imaginative, challenging others to use their imagination and abandon pretension. Foolishness is colorful, and foolishness makes you realize you never have all the answers. You know, the thing about shock jocks is the very persona they adopt has to show extreme confidence in themselves and the demonizing that they do as they ply their trade. It proceeds from a point completely the opposite of humility. And when people listen to it, they do one of two things. They either start to imitate it themselves, which certainly doesn't improve the world, or they begin to fight it and in some cases, create tragic incidents that might be on your doorstep next. So, as leaders, let's you and I set a tone of civility, let's invite motley, and let's exemplify foolishness, both in our professional, personal, and civic lives. Enjoy your weekend. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.